Well, if you have not grown up in a church um, like this, this is a pretty common uh, phrase for all, most people. If you've been in uh, this type of church, um, I'll just jump into it. God is good. What do you say? All the time, and then I'll say all the time, and you say? God is good. That's right. Let's do this again. God is good? All the time. And then all the time? One more time. God is good? All the time. And all the time? God is good. There we go. I like that. All right. Well, today I just want to talk about two simple things, uh, sufferings and saviors. And so it's pretty simple. If you're in our country right now, there is a lot of suffering going on, whether that's uh, with, with COVID or with it's, uh, those actually being affected by it or the, you know, the, the shrapnel of COVID or what the, the lingering effects there. there. There's the pain that some people uh, don't seem to, to hear the cries of the afflicted. There's, there's maybe personal sufferings. There's family strains. There's economic strains. Uh, there's interpersonal strains and friendships that are broken. There's, there's friends and pets and families that are dying. And so what do we do when suffering comes? What do you do when suffering comes? Well, in a strange and surprising move, the people of Seattle, Washington, have felt deeply the strains of a system that is set up to disadvantage people of color. And so um, they have turned a protest zone into its own little city. Have you heard of this? Um, I think it's, it's like a city. It, they, they call it Chaz, or maybe it's Chad now. Um, but it's, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. For a long time, like, who's Chaz? And you might be thinking that if you don't know the story. But it's Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, right? Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And so they have a little autonomous zone that they've said, we're going to take care of this police, you're not allowed. And so I didn't know that you could kick the police out, <laughs> but apparently you can. <laughs> and so they, but they've said, let's take suffering into our own hands. Like, let's do something about it. And so I'm just fascinated. I love to read and watch what's going on with this. Uh, and just to be clear, I'm not advocating for this, uh, this response here. But let me ask you, what, what about you? When suffering hits, what do you do? Where do you run to? What do you, what do you go to? You know, my hope today is in spite of all the suffering that we see, and very clearly, that we can look to Paul's courage, as we're about to see, and find our own. When, when suffering hits, what will save us? Who or what will we turn to? And at the end, I hope we'll be able to still say that God is good. And all the time? All right, hey, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hi, this is Dory. And today's scripture reading is from Acts 22, starting with verse 22. Paul, the Roman citizen. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And they, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. 
but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before him. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this the highest high priest Ananias ordered those standing near me to strike Paul on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was a high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Well, I know we just had a break um, from the book of Acts for about two weeks as Doug and Malcolm preached for us, uh, and some of y'all are new. So I'm just going to do a kind of a, a recap of where we're at in the book of Acts. Uh, and so let's just jump all the way back. In Jerusalem, in, in around AD 30, Jesus dies on the cross, right? He's resurrected, on the third, he's resurrected on the third day, and then he ascends to heaven. And then about 50 days later, uh, after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit falls on the, the apostles and giving them power and purpose and a plan. And it's out of joy of, of the, the Holy Spirit of the, coming upon them. The church is born and they are sent out. And this is where we see Peter gives this, this great sermon and 3,000 hearts are transformed. And then around AD 31, Stephen gives this very powerful sermon, and you would think everyone would come to the faith, but the enraged crowd actually gets angry and stones him, and we see our first martyr. And then around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, we see a man named Saul who's transformed by the, the risen Lord Jesus to become Paul, and then commissions him to, to be a, a, a prophet to the Gentiles. And he says, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer. 
And after this conversion, the gospel continues to spread through the ministries of now this man, Paul and Peter. And God gives Peter a vision for the church to reach the Gentiles as well. And then in AD 44, King Herod Agrippa first executed the apostle James. And then he has Peter arrested. Then he, he re God rescues Peter, freeing him from prison. And the believers are scattered. And it's because of that persecution that the, that the scattering happens and the gospel goes out. When, even when you don't want to, to, to go share the good news, God's kind of pushing you out to go do so. And then the center of operations transforms from Jerusalem to Antioch, where, where Paul and Barnabas are now sent out on these missionary journeys. And Paul has been going on, on three different missionary journeys, uh, and he's going all over. But most recently, Paul uh, spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was wrongfully arrested. Paul has, has really just been in a season of suffering, and for the, really the rest of the book of Acts, where we are going, it is going to be in a season of suffering. How many of y'all feel like you're in a season of suffering right now? I feel like every hand is probably raised, right? This is how the rest of this book is going to go, and so if that's where you're at, I, I hope this connects. Think about those big plans you may have had for 2020. <laughs> Remember, I don't know about you, but there was a lot of people talking about a, a big 2020 vision, like, ah, oh, it's the year 2020, we're going to have a 2020 vision for this and these big five-year plans. Okay. <laughs> Lord, what do you want it to be, right? <laughs> this is what happens. Uh, but Paul is, is now being arrested wrongfully. Um, they, were, they, were, they, they, were, they said that he was bringing Gentiles into the temple, which he wasn't, and that, that he was stirring up the crowds by preaching against Judaism, which he clearly wasn't. Uh, and so to save himself, Paul was using this code switching where he was speaking different languages and his experience of knowing how to talk to different people uh, to, to catch the guards uh, off guard. And so then he shares his testimony. That was, that was two, three weeks ago, that he shares his testimony uh, that is a powerful testimony. Um, and then that's where we get to our passage here in verse 22. So coming to our passage here, uh, verse 22, up to this word, up to this point, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not even be allowed to live. And so the question is, okay, they, 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 they took it for a while, but what stopped them to say, I can't hear another word? What was the last thing that he had to say? That, that, and what happens is the risen Lord Jesus, this is Paul quoting what the risen Lord Jesus comes to him in the darkest moment. He comes to him at night and he gives him this reassuring word in verse 21. And Jesus says, and he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Jesus is commissioning Paul to go to the Gentiles. But the people here listening to this cannot hear another word of that because the nations were dogs to them. Like, ha, ah, they were the evil ones. You, you can't, surely you cannot be thinking our God, Yahweh, would, would go for them. So kill him. And so they start shouting, and, they, and it's, the text says they start flinging dust you know, I want that to be my sign of how I'm frustrated so that people will be like, there goes Slim again, flinging dust. Something's bothering him. <laughs> I don't, that's just such an interesting way to do that. But the Roman tribune grabs Paul and, and, and in their interrogation tactic was to, to whip the truth out of him. And so they're about to flog him or whip him. Uh, but this is... Uh, this is with a whip with, with bones on the end of it and sharp objects to go into his flesh. And so right before they're about to whip him, Paul stops them and says in verse 25, 
is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and un- uncondemned? And now they're freaking out. They're like, oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> what are you, uh, what are we doing? And so then the centurion actually questions his superior officer and the tribune said, wait, are you for real? You're, you're actually a Roman citizen? And Paul says, yes. And then the tribune responds, he says, you know, well, I bought this citizenship for a very large sum of money. <laughs> and Paul's like, yeah, but I'm a citizen by birth, so, you know, we're not comparing here. <laughs> Paul's saying he didn't purchase it. He was born it. His, his status and his privilege just saved him. And so we want to say, yes, hallelujah, saved. Thank the Lord that he was Roman. <laughs> to, to bind a Roman citizen was a crime. To, to flog one was an abomination, and to slay one was actually murder. And so these guys were scared. They're like, oh no, what did we almost do? I mean, it's sad to say that, uh, that they're, they're like, we almost hurt one of our own. But what if he wasn't Roman? Then he would just be killed. And, that, and I think it's just sad to say that this is the, this is the, the world we live in to this day, that, that it depend on where, where you're born depends on whether you get flogged or even murdered or not. It's sad that we're still fighting this battle today. And so Paul wisely throws out his status and and he's saved for now. And so the tribune holds off, but they have this little pre-trial meeting uh, with with the Pharisees and the Sadducees to get their opinion on Paul. And Paul begins it in in the beginning of chapter 23 in verse 1. And he says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Meaning he's saying, I'm innocent. I have no regrets. I have nothing to confess. And so then the high priest orders someone next to him to punch him in the face. (laughs) Like, okay. And then imagine you just got punched in the face. What's your response? Oh, thank you, sir. No, this is Paul, and Paul's the fiery guy. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, (laughs) you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Woo! Paul calls this man a whitewashed wall. And what he's saying there is that this wall that may have all these infirmities or even mold on it, someone just put a, you know, a bucket of paint on to make it look like it's okay. And so he's saying, you, you look clean, but you're fake. You're plastic. You, you look holy, but you're not. You're dark. You're, you're, you have no substance to you. And so then in verse 4, Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, there is debate on how to interpret this passage here. There is is debate in the commentaries because Paul, the question is, how does Paul not know this guy is the high priest? Like, how does he not know when he's been called to this meeting with the high, with the high priest and the Sadducees there and the high priest wearing his, his robe, his garb? Like, how does Paul not know that? And so a, a common interpretation uh, and the one from your preacher is that Paul is responding in a very sarcastic tone. And he's saying, oh, I didn't even know he was the high priest because priests don't do that. <laughs> priests don't talk like that. Priests don't tell someone to go punch another person because he's ironically, he's breaking God's law by striking people because he thinks they're breaking God's law. Okay. Doesn't sound like a, a worthy high priest to me. And so I'm like, but just think of Paul here, like the, the guts, 
the, <laughs> the fortitude, the courage, like how in spite of all that has happened to Paul, does he come out shooting like this? I mean, how would have you have responded? In, in light of all that's happened to you, how do you still have courage? Like, think of all the stuff that, all the sufferings that you're facing. Like, how do you still have courage to fight, to step up? I mean, wh- where does that come from? Courage is, is the ability to do something that frightens one. It's the ability to still do it, even though it frightens you. It's strength in the face of pain or grief. And so how do you get that strength? I want to know that. I mean, we all want to know that. How do I get that? Before we know how to get it, let me talk about what it is. I think most of our books and movies will say what, what courage is, is really just, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the banishment of fear. Like, let's just banish fear. You, you know, you could say something like, danger, it's not even in my vocabulary. Like, ah, I laugh in the face of danger. I'm fearless. And one, I think that's just not true. You are not fearless. But two, I think it's just illogical. There's some things that you should be afraid of. Here, here's the four. This is, this is the definitive four. Sharks, um, bike wrecks, this virus, and clowns. Okay, those are the four you should be afraid of. Um, right? <laughs> All right, so... This is really what this is when we're not afraid of something is we're undervaluing fear. We, we, we underfear. And so underfear is just overconfidence. And when we, when we underfear something, that, that can get you into trouble. So you can say like, I don't need a seatbelt. I mean, that's just not smart. You, you, you do. That's not fearless. It's stupid. I mean, it's the same with like, you're going to the, a crowded grocery store and you're like, I don't need a mask during COVID. Like, okay, let's just be wise. Wear a mask. Like, that's maybe not as fearless as you might think. If Paul was, was trying to say, ah, I'm fearless, I'm just going to keep spitting insults at the high priest because I have no fear, like, I think that would be in the category of stupid. But so what he, <laughs> we'll get to what he does. But, but over fear, that's under fear. What over fear is, is where you know what you should do, but you don't have the ability to do it because you're so scared. Like, you don't, you don't have the ability to do the right thing, that we are overly fearful. We get paralyzed by fear, going, you know, you get that shaky voice of going, I can't speak up. I can't say it. I can't do the right thing, even when it's hard. I can think of uh, a time, uh, this is embarrassing. I have had, or maybe still have, a fear of roosters. I've now told the whole church this. <laughs> I don't like them. Like, I don't like the way they look. And I don't like their jerky movements. <laughs> it, like, it, it frightens me just how, how they move. Um, and, and then it, it came to a, a, a climax. Uh, one time I had a, a nightmare of where I was just lying paralyzed and a, a rooster was just pecking my eyes out. <laughs> and it was just so frightening. And then the very next day, we were going on a mission trip to, to Reynosa, Mexico, and I was carrying a 4 by 4 with a, another guy. And then uh, down a road, and this rooster walks across the road. And I just dropped the four by four. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I just start sprinting the other way. Because roosters are scary, right? <laughs> like, like, I had an unhealthy, irrational fear of roosters. And that was an overfear. I, I got paralyzed by my fear. I mean, all I saw was danger and beaks and talons and, and <laughs> eyes. Like, they're frightening. They have dead eyes, right? It's totally irrational. And so under fear looks past the danger and says, I don't need to see it. And over fear, all we see is danger. And courage is the ability to look at the danger with one eye 
and what Christ has called you to with another eye. Like we have two eyes to look at these, these two things using both of our eyes, both, both courage and prudence, both, 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 both fearlessness and wisdom to be wise as a serpent. And so Paul was, was, was being wise here as he's, he's approaching these, these chief priests and Sadducees. He knew he had Pharisees and Sadducees looking to off him. And so what does he do? He throws a bone out there for them to, to fight over. He says, hey, what do y'all think about the, the resurrection? <laughs> and so what he knows here is that that will be the thing that, that pushes them one, against one another because he knows these Pharisees have grown up in a, in a religion and believe to their bones that we too will rise one day. And so the Sadducees vehemently oppose that. And so he go, he's in this kangaroo court. He's got the chief kangaroo there. And in verse 6, he says, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and it's with respect and hope to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial, which wasn't necessarily why he was on trial. But when they heard that, then the anger switched from them towards Paul to them towards each other. And it was just this brilliant move. Like, like they start coming at one another. In verse 9, and a great clamor arose. And I, I just can't believe this when I read this part. And some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. Like, I find Paul like, are you kidding? You find nothing wrong with me? You were just about to kill me. Now you're defending me? Oh, oh, never mind. Okay, cool, cool, cool. You just keep on making arguments on my behalf. Thank you very much. And so they, they divided themselves and fought against one another so that the tribune had to come in and say, this isn't helpful. Let's take Paul back to the prison. And that's where we get to meet the Savior. And it's when Paul is in a dark moment when he needs hope and he needs guidance and he needs his Savior. But remember, Jesus died. But he rose again from the dead and he went to heaven, but every now and then he shows up in these, these, these ways. He shows up and makes appearances, and when he does, we just want to pay attention. In verse 11, this is, this is so good. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Notice Jesus doesn't come to Paul and say, Why are you scared? Like, I've called you to do something. Get out of here. Like, what, what, don't you trust me? No, Paul has a, has a rational fear that, that he might die. Nor does Jesus come to him and say, I'm going to eliminate all your problems. You got problems? I got answers, right? Like, he's not, he's not coming in and doing that for him. That's not what he does. He, he gives Paul this strange argument. Take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. I still got plans for you. I still, ha- I still have a fear not for I'm not done with you yet. I still got work to do through you. I have a purpose for you, so don't fear because there's still more work to do. Take courage wherever you're at that God has still got work to do through you. This isn't the end of the story, and God has still got more to do. And so he says, take courage, because you're going to need it. (laughs) Courage, because suffering isn't outside of God's plan, which stinks to to admit. Josiah was telling me he has a seminary professor that says, uh, God loves you, and he has a difficult plan for your life. And those are two things I don't want to put together. I love that God loves you, but I want to say, and 
Uh, he's got a great, easy plan for your life. He's going to bring you beside still waters, and, and it's smooth sailing from here on out. But that's not what God's promised us. Jesus actually tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. We will have trouble, but take courage. Take courage means I've got one eye on the problem, but I've got one eye on what God has called me to do in the midst of that problem. So we take courage, and I love that, 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 that phraseology there, that we, we will receive it because it's someone giving us that courage. It's giving us the ability to do so. So how do we have courage? We're receiving it from someone, from Jesus himself. And so remember, that this, this is not a rocky movie. This is not a, you know, just dig down deep and find it within yourself to have that courage. You know, look inside yourself, look inward, dig deep, find that fire that I know is within you. That's not what we're trying to say. That's not the gospel. Like, don't look inward for courage, look for your savior. Like Jesus gives you the courage. He says, take courage. He's coming from him. The gospel isn't just look inward, do better, try harder. If Jesus gave that to Paul, that would have crushed him. Paul, just do better. Like, <laughs> ooh, dig deep. Quit your crying. That's not what Jesus does. Courage is not your savior. Jesus is your savior. And Jesus gives you that courage. And so we run to him. And so don't, 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 the main point is not just looking at like, how can I dig deep and have that courage? The main point is to look at Jesus and what he's going to do for you. The gospel is not what you do, but it's what Jesus has done for you. And when you look at that and when you refresh yourself in that, then it does change you. But you got to come to the Savior first. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus really is the only person the only God who's even got the credibility to tell us to take courage. Think about this with any other religion in the world. Like no other religion in the world, I think, has the credibility to say take courage because no other religion in the world has a God who suffered. And so we have, we have a God who actually didn't just downplay the fear as he was going to the cross. He didn't say, you know, bring it on. <laughs> right? Like he, he's not inviting death. Remember he's in the garden and he's in tears and he's saying, please take this cup away from me. And yet he still goes forward. And like Paul, he gets hit in the face by, by the, by the, the high priest stirring up a crowd. And then the crowd does eventually kill him. And in the face of danger, Christ doesn't look past it, nor is he paralyzed by the fear of it. Christ is looking at both the cross and he's looking at you. And he's looking at both and he's saying, you are worth it. I'm looking at what I have to face and yet I'm looking at you and I'm coming because I love you. And so when we can face danger and we can face danger with courage because we have a Jesus who faced death head on and had you in mind when he did it. And he is saying, you are worth it. That's not slim. That's not my opinion. That is fact. He's saying, you are worth it. You can, you can have courage in the face of what you're going through because I've done this for you. Jesus says you're worth it. Jesus says you're worth dying for. Do you believe that? Have you hoped in that? Like truly hoped in that? That's where we get courage. We have hope in the God. The God of the world sent his only son to die for us. 
And today he's risen Jesus. He's risen and he's ruler of all, king of all, supreme, and he's for you. And so if that is your God, if that's the the God of the universe has done all that for you, you can have courage. You can take that. And so God is at work. Amen? Amen? Like he is at work behind the scenes, stuff we don't even know what's happening. He is giving all of us the reasons to trust as we look at what he is doing. We can look at what he's done in scripture, but we can also look at what he's done in our lives. We can go, yes, I can see what's happening here. But what, 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 is, what does God do? He's not promising to rescue you from the physical strains and the stresses, but we still know that God is at work. For after this scene, Paul gets delivered. Paul gets delivered from another plot to kill him. Like all these plots are coming to kill him. You might doubt, is there a God? But God keeps delivering him. His nephew hears of this rumor of trying to kill him and he tells the Roman guard, but he wouldn't, God would not have been able to get Paul to this spot of speaking to the government, to the governor of Rome, if all this persecution hadn't happened. So because of this persecution, because of all the, 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 the stirring up of the persecution that happens, God then brings Paul into safety and gives him a Roman uh, protection, bringing him to the governor of Rome so that he now can preach the gospel to the highest places in society. And so that God is now using persecution and sufferings to his own glory. Like that God uses evil. He's not condoning or promoting it, but he can, he can, he can overwhelm evil with good. That he can, he can make it work. And I think that's, we have to see that God is at work. God is at work and it may be hard to see, but can you look at your life and say, yes, God is at work? especially in times of persecution, I think we're all asking, are you there? Are you listening? And I want you to hear from Jesus as he came to Paul and promised to Paul, he showed up for Paul, he's gonna show up for you and say, take courage. If Jesus suffered persecution for you and for me, he, he has a plan for you too. And so take that courage. Jesus is no longer getting hit in the face. Like, take courage. He, he's no longer getting whipped or flogged or being strung on a cross. He is reigning and sitting on his throne, ruling this world. And so take courage, take it, internalize it, chew on it, that though you suffer, you have a savior. And so today I want you to be able to say, God is good. And all the time. Say it again, God is good. And all the time. And so I want, as we look at the suffering, let's remember to look at the Savior at the same time. That, that, that gives us the power to go through that suffering. So look at it. See it. Don't, don't, just, don't run from it. Don't look past it. See it. But then look at the Savior in all of his glory and what he's done for you. Let's pray.